but it's my privilege today uh, to be able to introduce uh, one of the newest, perhaps, member of Gulf Coast Presbytery to you. Now, you might say, what's that? Again, some of you that don't understand our Presbyterian lingo, uh, this is, we have a local church, and then we have an area of churches that are like-minded to us, other PCA churches, and that area is called Gulf Coast Presbytery. And um, today's person that is going to be our pulpit supply, going to be filling the pulpit and bringing us God's word, is a young man by the name of Kelly Jackson. And he is a graduate of my alma mater in Jackson, Mississippi, Reformed Theological Seminary. And uh, he ha- is the newest ordained member of Gulf Coast Presbytery. And he was called here uh, by the Joint Committee uh, for Reform University Ministries. And he is our new campus minister at Florida State University. And he's got some stuff I'm sure he's going to tell you about a little bit. And, uh, and you might want to uh, talk to Kelly about if you end up end up knowing somebody going to Florida State, you need to point them to Kelly, right, Kelly? Uh, so, Kelly, come on up here, brother. And um, he preached his ordination sermon here. I heard it, and I said, God, well, we've got to get him back. Uh, and, Kelly, it's a pleasure to welcome you to this pulpit. Bring us God's word, brother. Thanks, man. All right. It is good to be with y'all. Yeah, I preached my sermon right here, and I took my exam right there. So I've been telling some people, like, I've been getting some flashbacks of that day. It was a pretty scary day. But everybody was great. Joe was great, so kind. Corey Colravey, who's down the road at Covenant in Panama City, kind of walked me through that whole process. And it was a lot of hours of studying, of taking exams. And it's kind of a three-wave deal. You do your written exams, then you take oral exams with a committee, and then that right there, when I was on the floor of Presbytery, is the third kind of stage. But I survived, and I'm here with you today. And uh, praise the Lord, we're in Tallahassee now. Uh, I'm actually from Thomasville, which is just north of Tallahassee, Thomasville, Georgia, about 40 minutes north. We've been about seven hours away from family for the past six years in Mississippi. We did two years of interning with RUF, Reforming University Fellowship, that Joe was just talking about, at uh, Mississippi State University. And I know there's some bulldogs in the crowd today. Uh, And then from there, we felt like God was giving us the green light to go to seminary. So we went to RTS, and I've been working at First Pres Jackson for the past four years with college students there, with Millsap students, Bellhaven students, but then also Covenant kids that grew up in the church. Did y'all grow up in the church, either of you? Brett or your wife? No? Oh, okay. Oh, I I just didn't know if y'all were from here or not. Um, but you know, I grew up in a PCA church and then you go off to college and you, you hope that your, your kids will be cared for. Uh, that was part of my job at First Pres, kind of checking in on those kids and checking in with the RUF campus minister to say, hey, we've got this student headed your way or hey, you know, it's their junior year. How are they doing? Have you been able to get with them? That kind of thing. So love that, but so glad to be back closer to home, uh, to be in Florida. We've had a blast. Tallahassee is awesome. I've already been able to meet about 40 students or so. We've had uh, a couple events at our house. It's just been awesome. Getting to know pastors in the area like Joe. Uh, so glad to be with you all here this morning. And uh, we are actually going to be looking at kind of a dark passage. You may have seen the title, Encountering God, and thought, wow, this sounds uplifting. It is a, a hard passage. It's the passage about Cain and Abel. Uh, so flip to uh, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, verses, uh, we're going to be verses 1 to 11. And as you go there, I just want you to think about some of the big interactions that you've had over the past 24 hours or maybe the past week. Uh, think about 
how you went into those interactions. Uh, maybe you were excited. Maybe it was a, you know, a job interview or you know, somebody said, hey, I need to talk to you about something and you knew it was going to be a good thing. Uh, or maybe it was something you were really afraid of. Uh, it was a confrontation that either you were confronting someone or they were needing to talk to you about that thing. Uh, you were changed by those interactions. You brought something into them and you were changed by them. We may not understand exactly how we're affected each time we interact with another person, but the reality is we are. Uh, oftentimes it's you know weeks or hours or months or whatever, days later, that we think, oh wow, that's what was going on. Uh, it's really helpful to talk through those things with your spouse. My, my wife helps me kind of put the pieces together of my day, of my week, of my month. Uh, but the reality is interactions change us. Uh, encounters change us. There's always something that happens to us. Sometimes our sin's exposed, right? And we leave time uh, feeling, time with somebody feeling like, wow, I feel really bad. I can't believe I said that. Or we, we leave them feeling very encouraged. Maybe you were able to pray or open up to a brother or sister and you left that time thinking, wow, they're going through something really similar that I'm going through. Well, why would it be any different when we, when we interact with God? I would argue in this passage, uh, as we see Cain and Abel interacting with God, that they are changed, uh, that, that certain things are exposed, uh, that, that certain kind of pressure points are pushed down upon. And uh, you and I can learn from this passage that we too are going to be challenged. We're going to be changed. We're going to be affected uh, when we interact with God. And uh, Genesis 4 reveals the darkness of Cain's heart. It shows a merciful God. Uh, who, who both invites, and these will be our points in just a minute, but invites uh, these two men to worship him, but then also pursues uh, after we see Cain wrongly worshiping God. So we're going to read in just a minute, but let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive right in. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity uh, that you've given me to be with these brothers and sisters this morning. And uh, as was mentioned before, Lord, what a, what a gift it is, what a blessing it is to gather with your people uh, on this Lord's Day that you set apart at creation for us to, to get together, to worship you, to rest, to acknowledge that you're God and that we're not. And so I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word now, that you'd bless the preaching of it, and that you would um, cut us to the heart, Lord, and apply your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Genesis 4, starting in verse 1, and we'll go to verse 16. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to, his Abel, to, to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So, this is a well-known, very sad story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. I'm sure you've heard it before. Likely, these are the first children of Adam and Eve. And because man has fallen into sin, there are new desires, there are new fears, uh, new distractions from how we as humanity are supposed to live. But that doesn't stop us from having these interactions with God that we've been talking about. Two ways that we see these interactions uh, in our text are going to be our main points, and I mentioned them before. We have an invitation in, in our text. It's an invitation to worship, and we also see a God who pursues. And just think about it. A gracious God, and this is what we're going to see in this text, a gracious God, God, the God of the Bible, he doesn't keep people at arm's length like you and I often try to do. No, he invites them in, and he pursues them. And we're going to see that steady throughout this text, and I would argue... It's steady throughout the Bible. So let's dive right in. An invitation. This is verses 1 to 7. Our passage opens up with Adam and Eve having their first two children. Eve is the mother of all living, right? That's what Adam called her. And with the help of the Lord, she says, she conceives and bears Cain and Abel. And so we we read that Abel is a sheep farmer and Cain is an agricultural farmer. And verse 3 describes this scene. Both of these sons, now well into their chosen professions, bringing these products uh, to God in worship. So let's think about this first scene together. Cain and Abel, just to remind you, they're not blindly going in to this, this worship setting. They know that they were created by God. Their parents have told them this. He's the one who provides for their needs. He's the one that brings the plants up from the ground. He's the one that allows reproduction to occur. And, and feeds those sheep and feeds them. So whether one pursues agriculture or livestock farming, God's the one who's behind it all, and they know this. So it is entirely appropriate that they would, that they would approach God like this, at this invitation to worship, that they would come to him with whether it's their sheep or, or their agriculture and give these things to God. Just as you and I, we gather on Sunday to worship God, and various other times in the week, whether you're doing family worship or, or you know, praying to God on your own, reading the scriptures on your own. So we see Cain and Abel thanking God for his provision and making an offering to him. So let's talk a little bit about what they bring and, and why they bring it. Verses 3 and 4 tell us Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brings the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. God meets both of these men. Uh, with their offerings, but for some reason he chooses to accept one and reject the other. Why would that be? What's different about these men or or their offerings? Think about what verse 3 does and doesn't say. It does not say that Cain brought up the first fruits. 
But it does say that Abel brought the firstborn. Is that significant? Yeah, it actually is. It's a very important detail in this text. Cain is bringing an offering of normal fruit, just kind of out of the hole. Abel is bringing a very special offering from, from the sheep. But let's look beyond the material because we know there's got to be a deeper problem. There's got to be something underneath the water of this iceberg that we're examining. Why did they bring what they bring? We can learn a lot about Cain's heart by looking at his, his motives and his response. If we go to the New Testament, in 1 John three twelve, 12, uh, the Apostle John explains to us, Cain's deeds were evil. He just calls them out. While Abel's were righteous. When we really get down to it, Cain thinks that he can come to God in his own self-righteousness. He's bringing this offering from the ground, thinking, I've done this thing myself. You know what? It's going to impress God. So I can bring any of this fruit. I've done it. How do we know that this is the position of his heart? By his response. When it's rejected, verse 6 tells us that the offer, or after the offering is rejected, verse 6 tells us, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Think about this. You don't get angry like this when you know you've done a poor job or when you know you've done something wrong. This kind of anger is brought about when you think, I'm in the right. When you think, I'm justified. When you think, God should be impressed with this. What's the deal? Cain's angry because he thinks he's worthy of God's acceptance, all on his own. Cain comes with wrong motives. God calls him out, and then he pouts. Because God exposed his sin, and because he's looking at his brother and thinking, he was accepted, and I just can't handle that. But Abel's actions, they're righteous. Why are they called righteous? Not because he's any better than Cain, but because he's trusting in God's righteousness. A righteousness beyond himself, outside of himself, and therefore his offering is accepted. It is because Abel trusts in God that he is enabled to bring the best of what he has and completely give it away. Trusting. Can you feel the freedom in that? He's just letting it go. He's not thinking to himself, I have to have this. I have to cling tightly to this. I'm just going to give him whatever from my sheep. He's offering it to God, saying goodbye to it, and trusting God's going to continue to care for me like he has my entire life. God addresses a scene of offering in Psalm 50. Maybe you've read it before. And he tells the Israelites that he doesn't need the offerings that they're bringing. Basically, he explains to them, You're trying to manipulate me with these offerings. Do you really think I need them? Do you really think I need that bull or that goat or that bird that you're bringing to me? That I'm hungry and that you're somehow feeding me? No. God's not impressed by those offerings at all. What he wants is their hearts. And he explains that in this psalm. God says in this psalm to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. If you and I really know God, we're going to worship him as creator as sustainer, as provider. Not just those things, but as our Father. Those of us that put our faith in Jesus. That's what we have with God. He is our Father. It's clear from our passage here in Genesis that Abel is thankful. And he can't just, he can't help but just jump at the opportunity uh, to say thank you to God by giving him the very best. But Cain seems to be doing this out of obligation. He does seem to be acting like those in Psalm 50 
trying to manipulate, trying to approach God on his terms. And it proves that his heart is not in the right place. One more thing to remember uh, here is that God could have simply left Cain uh, in this state of rejection, but he doesn't. In verse 6, God asks Cain why he's angry. And we know he's not asking this question because he doesn't know the answer. He does. He's trying to get Cain to deal with the sin, to deal with what's, go- what's going on, to see that a right offering will be accepted. If Cain will come to God with a, a heart of submission, thanksgiving, faith, God's going to accept his offering. But, God says, if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at your door. It wants you. It wants mastery over you. You've got to rule over it. We hear an echo in these words uh, of God's words to Eve about uh, her desire being for her husband and him ruling uh, over her as God gives these words to Cain. Sin is, it's all up in our hearts and our minds. It's trying to manipulate us. It's trying to have power over us. And God is saying to Cain here, acknowledge your need for me, Cain. Offer your, your produce in faith. Trust in me and you will do well. But if you allow this sin to fester, and we need to hear this, y'all. If you allow this sin to fester, if you allow it to go unchecked, to be left alone, it could very well overtake your heart. This is a scene of worship. God's invited them in. And the hearts of these men have been exposed. Let's take a minute to think about our own hearts and what worship can reveal or renew in us. Like Cain and Abel, you and I are sinners. Offerings uh, that we make to God, and like they make to God, they're made because we know we're not perfect. Uh, We're approaching this this creator, this sustainer, this father, and saying, you're in control. That's why we're gathered here today. We want to rest in him. We want to find rest because it's hard for us to. We're restless. But how many of us trust in our own efforts, just like Cain, to bring to God all the stuff that we're proud of to get his cosmic approval without acknowledging his hand in it, without acknowledging, as someone said earlier, that that it's on lend. All the stuff that we have is from his hand. He's providing it to us, whether it's resources, whether it's relationships, whether it's the thoughts in your head, everything you have, it's from God. And he's given it to you, and we have the opportunity to say, it's from you, thank you for it, and I'm offering it back to you. But we come to God and we say, what do you think of this? Does this impress you enough? The fruit of the Spirit, y'all, just think about it. It's called the fruit of the Spirit because God's Spirit is at work in us. He's doing it. It's not the fruit of Kelly or the fruit of Joe. God's Spirit is working in you to enable you to do these things. Working in you and through you. To take God out of the equation is to forget that sanctification, it's a work of God in us, through us. We join him He's the initiator. Uh, He's going after these men. He's going after us. A heart of thanksgiving readily confesses sin to God and rejoices in him, in his loving embrace. It doesn't try to impress him. Our faith should make us quicker repenters because we're more and more convinced that his forgiveness really does cover every single sin. And his love for us really does mean that he wants what's best for us. So we, sometimes we trust in our own efforts, like Cain does here. We also see God as this cosmic vending machine, kind of like they do in Psalm 50. We try to manipulate God into giving us what we want, rather than trusting in his sovereignty and love to provide for our needs. 
Rather than thinking that we can manipulate God, we would be so much wiser to, to seek to delight ourselves in the Lord so that our desires might line up with his desires for us. Little kids, don't they have a problem really trusting that their parents know what's best for them? And that probably goes up until middle school, and then people always say, you know, I came back from freshman year of college, and wow, my parents had really gotten a lot smarter. No, we don't realize that those parents and that our, our Father in Heaven knows way better than we do what's best for us. And as we seek to delight ourselves in Him, our desires are going to change, y'all. And remember that when God chooses to reveal our sin, that is actually his grace at work in us. How many times have you been singing the words to a hymn, reading the words of scripture, listening to a sermon, when you woke up to some aspect of your sin that you hadn't noticed before, and you were just blown away? Maybe by how dark your sin is, or how amazing God's love is, how big the cross is, that it could cover that sin. This is a gift. That is a gift of God. It may hurt initially as you realize it. But y'all, that's amazing uh, that God would open our eyes to that. Maybe this morning uh, you're holding on to a pet sin or you're feeding secret thoughts or desires and not turning from them. One of the best possible things for you and for me is to get called out in those sins, to have them exposed, to have a light shown on them, that we might live healthier lives. Y'all, that's exactly what, what God's doing for Cain here. He's inviting him in, and then he's exposing. It makes me think of a, a blind person who receives sight, and this is kind of our lives as Christians. They've been blind their entire lives, and then they receive sight, and day by day, the light gets brighter. They're able to see more and more in the world you know, of themselves. That's us. God, as he invites us in, he's shining that light brighter and brighter in your heart, you know, in your life. And we're going to see sin. And that is a gift. That is a grace. And we turn from that sin and by his spirit, uh, we are sanctified. We walk by faith uh, and we grow closer to him. When our, when our sin is revealed uh, or his love for us is further understood, or we simply just keep coming back day after day, time after time to God in prayer, in reading, whatever it is, we see him changing us. And most of the time it will be little by little. But he's getting rid of that, that dead, that ugly old man. And he's teaching us how to live in good and healthy ways. That is God inviting us in. If you and I are works of art, who do we want the artist to be? Let me ask you that. Christianity is handing the pastels or the paintbrush or the hammer and chisel over to God and saying, you know humanity, you know me better than I know myself. I trust you. Change me, Lord. So we see an invitation to worship early on in our passage. And sadly, things, they take a turn for the worse. Throughout the, the rest of our passage, though, we see a God who graciously pursues and this is uh, primarily verses 8 to 16. In verse 8, God tells us that Cain speaks to Abel, maybe trying to get his attention to start a conversation with him, and he takes him out into a field. He's thinking, okay, I've got to rule over my sin and come in weakness to God, or I've got to get rid of Abel. We don't know what, what the brothers discuss exactly, or whether or not Cain was planning this, this murder from the moment God rejected his offering. But he and Abel, they're far off in a field. 
where Adam and Eve likely aren't going to see or hear what happens. And Cain murders his brother because he can't stand to be the one who's rejected. The truly sad thing is that it's Cain's sin and his broken relationship with God that actually pushes him to get rid of a brother who, for all we can tell in this passage, he's completely innocent in the matter. He comes with a right offering to God, trusting in God, and then he dies. Verse 9, God shows up uh, right away and asks Cain, where's your brother? Not because he doesn't know, like we talked about, but because he's being gracious. Much like he questions Adam and Eve in the garden. He's allowing an opportunity for Cain to confess his sin. It's the second time that God meets Cain like this, with gracious questioning. It could lead to repentance. But Cain responds by saying, I don't know. And then mocks God by asking if he's his brother's keeper. Answer to that question, yeah, you are. He's throwing this relationship in God's face. This brother who he's called to love, he's now murdered out of anger because he couldn't stand comparing himself to righteous Abel. In verses 10 to 12, God says, Cain, what have you done? And tells, tells Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me for vengeance. Because of Cain's sin, he's now going to be cursed from the ground. And remember, he's, he's you know, agriculture. He's a farmer. And remember, the ground was cursed before, uh, earlier with Adam. But now Cain's murder has led to further curse where the ground will not produce for him like it did before. Not only that, now Cain has to wander about as a fugitive, heading farther and farther east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord, as our text tells us. Again, we can learn from Cain's response. God is graciously pursuing, but what is Cain doing? His sorrow and his fear, they're just too much for him to bear. He tells God in verse 14, I fear for my life. Somebody's going to try to kill me. His actions have led him to doubt, to fear, to confusion. You can just see him in this scene, you know, breathing quickly, doesn't know where to turn, doesn't know what to do. And he says this to God. And God responds graciously. No, I won't let anyone harm you. I'll protect you. I'm putting this mark on you so that everyone will know that if they hurt you, I'll hurt them seven times more. Do you hear the grace in that? Somehow, Cain is still, even with this, blind to the fact that God's the one who's in control. That he's the one who's protecting Cain. That he's the one who deserves worship. Here's a man who's wrongly worshipped God, gotten angry over God's holy response, now killed his brother and lied about it. He's fearing for his life and God says, I'll protect you. This man does not deserve an ounce of God's grace and yet this chapter is full of it. God's patient reminders that a broken heart of faith is all he requires. And a relationship is what he desires. Our daughter, Nora, I have two kids, by the way. Nora's two, cute little redhead, and Johnny is eight months. And when our daughter was about nine months old, she was just getting to the point where she understood the word no. And, uh, you know, we would say it constantly, we still do, because uh, she, she's very... Uh, she likes exploring, trying new things. She loves meeting people. We went to a pool party last night, and she was just kind of walking over to older kids like, hey, will you play with me? Um, but 
At nine months old, we were trying to keep her from getting into things that weren't good for her. But that didn't stop her from trying the same things over and over again. Even though we would try to get, you know, literally, physically between her and that object. Or verbally say, Nora, no, do not do that. It's not good for you. No, there are all kinds of things that could have hurt her. That could have put her in danger. And we're lovingly trying to train our daughter to do certain things that will be good for her, healthy for her, and to refrain from other things that will be harmful to her or to others. What if Nora grows up and never chooses to respond to our discipline? Just is hardened more and more. She does what she wants, when she wants to, pays us no regard. For one thing, she'll be punished all the time. I know that. But another thing that her heart is just going to grow further and further away from ours. We're still going to have huge hearts for her. But this relationship that we're trying to build with her through our love and time and care for her, it it could be discarded and forgotten. And I I pray every day for her that God will give her faith in Jesus uh, and that that faith will be strengthened. I pray that she will respond in obedience, that she will see our love for her. But oftentimes, we can act like a disobedient child. We can act like Cain here, even as God pursues us. Even as believers sometimes, uh, we turn, we run, we go back to that sin that we hold so dear. And let's talk a little bit about that. When God pursues us or confronts our sin, it's an opportunity, right, for us to open up in repentance to cry out to him for mercy. But how many of us murder in our hearts because we struggle so deeply playing that comparison game in middle school, in high school, in college, at the workplace, with your your couple friends? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to be happy for those people around us that succeed, that do well, who are successful, rather than pridefully thinking, I wish they would just fail. I wish someone would just take them down. Y'all, God's capable of changing our hearts so that we celebrate their successes, so that we celebrate them doing well in life, so that we can actually care for them, come alongside them, and say, great job. That's, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. Oftentimes, we're also just hiding our sin. We're ashamed of it. As God pursues us, we're ashamed of our sin, or we love it, or we just don't want to reveal it. And, and we're angry. And we think, I'm justified in doing this. Or whatever it is, we attempt to hide it from God. And we attempt to hide it from others. Cain does this and you and I do it too. But we see in this verses, that's going to lead to sorrow. It's going to lead to fear. It's going to lead to despair. So let me ask you, let me ask myself. What sins are we attempting to hide from God and to hide from others? as he pursues us, as he puts men and women, boys and girls in our lives to pursue us and to ask us those hard questions. What sins, maybe like Gollum, are we saying, no, this is too precious to me. I'm not telling you about it. I'm not opening up about it. Y'all, the Bible says that God knows that stuff already. He might actually be graciously pricking our hearts right now at this very moment, questioning you and me to get us to open up to him Or to open up to someone that he's put in our lives so that we can get help. So that we can find healing. But it's so easy, isn't it, to look around us in the world and to think like Cain does. 
to see a world that scares us, to see people that scare us, to be in relationships that scare us, and we think, God's not in control of this. What am I going to do? I have to build walls. I have to make this amount of money or surround myself with this kind of people or work until I'm falling apart and falling asleep because I can't lose those things or I'll be crushed. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be rejected. Oh, no. But God says, no. If you run to me in faith, I will embrace you. If you give me your heart, I will love you. If you cry out to me, I'll be there for you. And that's where we're going to end our time this morning. It's throughout the Bible, and we're going we're to look at another passage. Your sin and my sin is just as heinous as Cain's. Just as Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, in verse 10, our sin, your sin, my sin, my sin cries out for vengeance too. Something must be done to make things right, to bring justice to the injustice. And y'all, in Hebrews 12, we read that Jesus' blood cries out in answer for forgiveness. Jesus' blood answers the cry of Abel's blood here in Genesis 4. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. This God, who we naturally run from, just like Cain does, Because of our sin, he calls us into his loving embrace. And now as father, if we put our faith in Jesus, we can be changed by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of this perfect son. Sin something that we're going to experience every day of our lives. But God existed before sin. And he's going to be around long after it's gone. Run to the one who can do something about your sin. Forgiveness in Jesus, it offers acceptance, it offers hope, and it offers the promise of change. So let this be an encouragement to the Christian this morning, and let this be an invitation to the non-Christian. Bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that uh, you give us very encouraging, uplifting passages. But Lord, we also thank you for hard, uh, dark passages like this one, where we see the, the two lines Uh, the the line of the woman and the line of the serpent going on two very different paths. Lord, help us to read about this man, Cain, uh, who was a sinner and and ran from you. At your invitation, he he came in pride and self-righteousness. At your pursuit, uh, he continued to to, to run away. God, be with those of us uh, in this room this morning who struggle Uh, with that pet sin, who struggle with pride, uh, who hold on to uh, the way things used to be, who look back much like the Israelites did uh, and thought that somehow the time in Egypt was better. Lord, it's not. Help us to let go of those things. Holy Spirit, free us from those things. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that, that doesn't know you, help them to put their faith in Jesus, to explore the gospel that you sent the perfect son to die to answer the injustice. And Lord, may we all put our faith in him and grow in grace uh, and be sanctified and and give us good desires, Lord, uh, to come to you rightly and to know you more deeply. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.